Hello, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Sider. I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at Sider. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Also, make sure for our Locked On Suns Twitter page at Locked On PHX Suns. Your supporter there is very much appreciated. We're back with you guys today. The day after, another embarrassing loss for the Phoenix Suns. This time, they lost by 30 points at home on Halloween night to the San Antonio Spurs. 120-90. to 90. It really didn't even feel like it was a 30-point game, Brendan. I was there last night. And, oh, it was over by the, I'd say, the end of the first quarter, middle first quarter. It was just super rough to watch. I was talking to you off off the air about it, but I don't know as far as Suns free, throw, free throws go. I don't know if I'll have much positive takeaway from this game because six straight blowout lock, Brennan, just like I'm, I'm at a loss for answers here at this point of how, unless Devin Booker's a 30-point swing, how in the world they can fix this? Yeah, I mean, maybe instead of – even doing our normal recap today, we could have just recapped uh, Duke's preseason game or something like that. Start talking about the draft because oh. Oh. Uh, it it has that feeling though, doesn't it? Of all those games we watched, kind of, and really all eighty two almost last year were pretty bad. And um, I I kind of feel like embarrassed almost. Like the first game was such a mirage where. I was thinking back to that night. I think one of the things I pointed out was just, uh, or no, I guess it would have been the second game, the resiliency, just the ability to fight back and and not let games get out of hand. And they've made me look silly for saying that because so many of these games have become blowouts and they haven't shown that resiliency. Obviously, without your best player, it's kind of difficult to come back and, and really even stay in games. But they've been the complete opposite of what we saw those first few nights, even in the losses when they just show no fight and have so little to, to show for these terrible blowouts. Yeah. It just worries me because I thought there'd be some sort of update as far as that goes. Just you'd think they'd show some sort of resilience against the Spurs team who I know obviously is four and two. They have DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, but it was an embarrassing effort all around from the defense last night. They allowed throughout most of the game. I know they finished 55% from the field, but it was close to 61, 62% for most of that game. The defense was a turnstile. The offense, again, the shooters were cold. Outside of DeAndre, who had a really rough game defensively, he was really starting to show the past four or five games. I think he only has the three blocks after Devin Booker can yell to him over the past four games in that one game against the Lakers. Every game outside of that has been no blocks for DeAndre, and so that's been a rough go-around for the number one overall pick. But everyone else has just been really struggling TJ Warren finished 50% from the field, but obviously it was garbage time. lost by 30 points. So I guess we can get into the rotations really quickly, Brian, just because I found this interesting. TJ Warren started last night over Ryan Anderson, and Ryan Anderson only played eight total minutes in that game. And we also saw Mikhail Burris get a lot more time, 27 minutes. Do you think this is a trend now moving forward that I think Igor might stick with? Yeah, I mean, we might as well just make this one of the free throws. We'll just take a look at the rotation because, like we said, there's not a whole ton of, like, actual optimism to go around tonight or last night. But I think that it, it might be something that, that continues going forward. And I thought it was interesting, obviously Warren starting first time all season, he's done that. That was one thing we kind of saw coming a little bit. The thing that was more surprising to me was that bridges did get so many minutes. Um, and there were some other smaller, like they went to D'Anthony Melton he was being super almost like a hockey coach on the point guard rotation at times. He, he would have Melton check in like four minutes into 
I think the second half, Melton was in in the third quarter with like eight minutes to go. Um, Jamal Crawford played the his normal minutes, but you know it was kind of just like a rotating carousel of guys at point guard that kind of piqued my interest. And then the fact that we saw Rashawn Holmes in the second quarter, but then not really much at all. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know. It's just I think more in line with what we were hoping. And it, to me, it does show some progress there because I think one of the worst things a coach can do is stick to their guns when something is not working. Now that shows up in a lot of different places. Obviously that can be strategy stuff that can be scheming that can be just, you know, time management. There's a whole bunch of different things coaches are responsible for, but in the rotation, especially with so many guys who are so unproven, I think it's good to give them all a shot to at least prove themselves and then move on when you know it's not working. Are you surprised, though, that Ryan Anderson goes from starting to only playing eight minutes? Because it seemed like Mikhail Burgess was also taking his minutes at the four most of the time, and Anderson barely played at all. So what does that say about a starting veteran who goes straight from starting playing 25, 30 minutes a game to playing really the 12, 13th man role on the bench where he barely gets any time? Do you think this is something, maybe a trend that continues for even a guy like, let's say, Tyson Chandler and Jamal Crawford, I think, far and away are the two worst guys in the roster right now outside of Ryan Anderson and it's, it kind of confused me last night why Igor had Tyson Chandler in when they were down 22 points with nine minutes to go instead of Rashawn Holmes. But obviously you take the go with the bad there with Anderson being out and TJ starting, but there obviously has to be a lot more changes after that. Yeah, I think so. I think Holmes not playing a lot is still confusing to me. Chandler, I think he, he can be positive in, in very limited ways and he does provide something here and there. He had a nice game against, I think it was the Lakers game that he played decently well and had some, help on the offensive glass. There's little ways that he can help, but I think for the most part, he shouldn't be playing. I've said that even before the season, I thought that was true and he hasn't done really much to, to change that. Um, but I think, you know, as far as Anderson goes, it's, I think the only thing I have there, the only thought that I, I keep coming back to with him is just, there was a lot of optimism about him when he came in. And I think I, you know, kind of came around, I was hesitant at first, but I, you know, hearing what really the coaching staff was saying that they thought he'd be able to help. I'm like, well, you know, this is a new system, a new thing that's being implemented. If you guys think he'll help space the floor, then, you know, let's see it happen. I'm ready. And then, you know, I we're, we're seeing exactly what happened with him in Houston now. And so the optimism of, oh, well, his, his limitations don't matter as much on a worse team. I don't think that's been true at all. I think the defense has been just as much of a problem. Um, and then the fact that his really only offensive value at this point is spotting up. And when those shots, shots aren't going in, then um, obviously he really has almost no value at all. That's exactly what made it so that he really never played with the Rockets outside of some backup five minutes here and there. And that's what's making him such a liability, even for a team that's only won one game, he can't get on the court. So the optimism of, oh, he'll be less you know, of a negative when he's playing for a worse team that doesn't want to win a title, I think that's been wrong. I'll toss it back to you for a second, Brennan, just to have you go first. I guess if we want to start with one free throw, what was your at least positive takeaway from a 30-point loss here? Yeah, the other one besides the rotations to go to a specific player this time would be um, D'Anthony Melton. I think he, like I said, played way more than I was expecting, played with the you know starters for all intents and purposes, even though that's kind of a weird thing at this point with Warren getting his first start, Kobo doing the same, and then Booker not being in there. But he was playing with those main five guys a lot of the time in, in Josh Jackson's place or in Elio Kobo's place. And um, 
the shots didn't go in, but they were all close misses. I went back and I was only kind of loosely keeping up toward the end of the game yesterday, but I went back and watched the third quarter again this morning. And I think he, besides the shots all being pretty close misses, one for six from three, but a lot of them hit the rim and, and, you know, just kind of didn't bounce his way. I think comfort will help there. He's still, you know, really this was his first game playing a legitimate amount of minutes, three steals. That's the same as it was in college, three steals in a block. He was one of the best steal steal percentage and block percentage guys in all college basketball as a freshman. And I think that all stuff will continue. And the, the most optimistic that I was watching him was watching how well he defended DeMar DeRozan when really no one else on this team had a chance and were getting really their butts handed to them a lot of the time by DeRozan. He had no uh, stopping his momentum toward the rim. He was getting whatever he wanted. Now, Melton fouled him a lot, five fouls, but DeRozan's a crafty player and he's a veteran. He's going to get the fair majority of the calls. But I think overall between defending him and then doing, you know, kind of the usual momentum changing plays that we got used to at USC from him, it was a really nice debut. Yeah, Melton, as as we both were really high in the draft, Adam number 14 on my board. He was also near water on your board as well. So I think he's going to quickly prove. Yeah, he was at 13 for me, yeah. Oh, wow, 13. Yeah, so definitely he's going to prove, I think, pretty quickly why he deserves a lot more minutes than he currently has right now. But I think my free throw is going to be Mikhail Bridges because he continues to prove game in, game out that he's possibly the third best player on the Suns already, which is crazy to say and kind of sad at the same time. 27 minutes, six of nine field goals, 50% from three, one of two. 16 total points in 27 minutes. He's just a guy who impacts both ends, Brennan, and you could tell he was kind of frustrated last night after the game. I asked him about the lack of defensive communication, which has become really obvious during these blowout losses that these guys don't communicate at all. We They hyped it up during preseason that they were going to switch a lot. They were going to communicate a lot. And that's been completely abandoned, it looks like. Guys like Ariza, Josh Jackson barely even talk anymore. So obviously he was frustrated with that, but his overall game, though, was great. 16-3-2. and two. His assist is one thing that's really I'm really watched for too. He's like an Igor system. McHale's slowly but surely adding in more playmaking ability, which I thought was his missing link to be a really solid NBA player. And if he adds that at a good development rate, then I think really quickly, I think by probably the end of the year, maybe by the All-Star break at this point, how many minutes he's already getting from Ryan Anderson as well. I think he's going to be the starting small forward or power forward by, before the end of the year. Yeah, I think that's looking more and more like it could happen quickly. I think... It's not even, well, obviously the rotation, who knows how it looks now that Okobo has played a little more, gained the trust of the coaching staff, it looks like a little bit more, and Warren's in there. I'm interested to see how the starting lineup shapes up once Booker gets back, but I definitely think Bridges has shown that he should be right around those 27 that he got last night. Um, Plus minus not as solid as it was, which you have had to have expected because he's playing more with the starters he's just playing more in general and this has been a pretty bad team so when you get blown out by 30 the guys who play a lot are going to trend back toward the you know the normal minus 15 minus 20 we've been seeing all year rather than the little spurt where you kind of make a run and, and it looks better so I wouldn't if anyone's seeing that be too dismissive but you know overall six of nine from the field that's looks great on a night when 39 percent of the field goals went in altogether so he definitely needs to be playing more he just looks so comfortable right like he just when it looks like josh jackson and other guys are just running around the court like chickens with their heads off it's so refreshing to see bridges come on the court and he's just playing in control and kind of knows what's going on 
Is it fair to say out of the wings that you mentioned there, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren, maybe even Trevor Reza at some points because he's he's been struggling himself, you know, the box score would say otherwise. Do you think he gets the system like we talked about with Elio Kobo with the point guards where I think out of all these wings, he's picking up the system of Igor's faster than anyone else in that position group? I agree. I, I mean, I think Warren's look looks comfortable, but that's because really all he has to do is score. That's, you know, he's added to being able to take spot-up shots, which has obviously helped the offense, but it's not like he's necessarily operating that much differently than he has in the past. But I think Bridges coming in as a rookie and being able to be a positive influence has definitely helped. I mean, it, you see it on the court, but until yesterday, even the numbers back that up every time he stepped on the court, they, they just, you know, got so much better, so much more efficient. But did you have a second free throw that you want to do? Cause I just made mine the rotation. I kind of cheated. Yeah. I mean, if I wanted to go to the opposite side here, cause I don't think there's much from the sun's point of view, I think I might go with DeMar DeRozan 10 of 12 from the field, 25 points, four rebounds, three assists, a steal and a block plus 24 on the night. Obviously, the Spurs were coasting the second half, but I had my doubts about DeMar DeRozan being a guy in San Antonio who could really take Kawhi's spot. Obviously, he's not going to fill Kawhi's spot completely, but he he looks like an all-NBA player like we saw in Toronto, and he looks even more motivated now since he got traded. And if he's performing like he does on both ends of the floor, like he's doing right now under Greg Popovich, then I think there's no reason to believe why DeMar DeRozan wouldn't be another all-NBA type player this year and an all-star because he looks every bit the part of a guy who's even taken another step forward. Yeah, he looks super comfortable and confident in that role there. And it, it I mean, it, it's happened without missing a beat at all. That's been what's most impressive to me. You'd think just seven games in, he would still be adjusting. And they've catered a system around him that still has the ball in his hands. And especially in key moments at the end of games, like we saw against Dallas the other night, there weren't really key moments against the Suns. But um, especially in the second half when they kind of slammed the door shut, outscored the Suns. 34 to 27 in that third quarter it was him just barreling to the rim without anybody that could stop him and and he scored at will and obviously you see that with 10 of 12 really quickly on DeRozan just comparing him to Devin Booker really quickly because I found it just interesting how Pop spilled his offense around him do you think that they should do sort of the same thing or didn't Ewers trying to do the same thing that Pop's doing DeMar DeRozan with Devin Booker yeah I think it's it's pretty similar I mean you have secondary ball handlers like Marcus Aldridge and Bryn Forbes. I mean, obviously they would rather have other different guy in Bryn Forbes spot when the rest of their roster gets healthy. And Patty Mills plays quite a bit there too, but um, you have that other ball handling so that it's not just DeRozan pounding the ball. Like we saw so often with Booker during his first few seasons in the league. And then you, you know, you have it positioned where he's getting the ball in motion and able to just make easy decisions and find, find open shots through the system rather than through his own isolation. So I think that it's the way that a lot of teams are going. And I think we will eventually see it with Booker, but obviously the injury has not helped and we see how much it hurts the Suns to not have that guy in there. I'm sure the same would be true. Although who even knows because the Spurs were incredible last year with no guy in that role, but that's the Spurs. Yeah. Keep doubting Greg Pavlich at your own risk because I was doubting at the beginning of this year. And now there's no way I don't see Santana making the playoffs. Now I think, until Pop retires, I think the Spurs will be a playoff team. But before we go any further to our next segment here for our flagrant foul, I want to tell you guys really quickly about Locked On NBA Net. It is our Locked On NBA Twitter account where you can follow guys like me, Brendan, David Locke, Locked On Jazz, CEO of Locked On Sports Network. Guys like that, all these NBA voices around the association you see from Boston, the Milwaukee, to Denver, 
all these cities that have NBA teams, you can find right away the news you want. Follow Locked on NBA Net so you can keep with all the guys outside of Phoenix. And then you'll, you'll see tweets from me and Brennan also on there. If you don't follow us already, make sure to follow us at Eastside or not Brennan Clean 14. But go make sure to follow at Locked on NBA Net to get all of your NBA news because it's quickly becoming a valuable resource where if you want to get any news out of any sort of city that has an NBA team, you'll find it in less than five minutes on Locked on NBA Net. So make sure to go follow at Locked on NBA Net. Yeah, and before we move on as well, wanted to tell you guys one more time about my bookie. Ever since Evan and I started this podcast, um, every time it comes up for me, people really want just intel on the team. What's going on? How should I buy this trend that's going on? Should I, you know, bet on this team? And the truth is that I don't necessarily know. Evan doesn't always know who's going to win. But if you think that you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys. They are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is super easy to use. You're going to lay down some cash and win big today. Now, I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and I have used my bookie before, and I've suggested it to other people because they treat us so well. So I wouldn't be telling you guys about this if it wasn't something that was going to work. All you're going to have to do is join now on the MyBookie website, and they will match your first deposit dollar for dollar. The way you're going to do that is you're going to enter the promo code Locked On, all one word, to activate that offer. You're going to visit MyBookie online. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, the website. And don't forget to use the promo code Locked On when creating your account so that your first deposit is matched dollar for dollar. You play, you win, you get paid. Go check out my bookie, guys. All right, so flagrant fouls are probably much easier yeah, than anything else today, but what's your first one? All righty, I don't want to make it a, a Josh Jackson parade here as far as just raining on his parade and how bad he's been, but for me, it's easy. It's Josh Jackson because he started last night shooting guard alongside Elliot Kobo, and his trend after the opening night games is kind of getting to a really awful level here. His fifth straight bad game, 21 minutes, 2 of 7 from the field, he only had four points. He had a one block, a chase down block, and off a turnover he had. So that's kind of his own doing there. But two assists, one rebound, was one of the worst plus minuses on the team. We touched on the Mikhail Burgess section of our last segment, Brendan. But I feel like slowly but surely, I think Igor's realizing that Mikhail Burgess did a lot better than Josh Jackson. And I think the minutes that we saw last night from Jackson, around 20 or so minutes, is probably going to be the regular for him unless they take him out of the starting lineup because I really just don't see how – Igor doesn't see how Jackson's one of his worst players on the team because it's it just it's getting really bad for him at this point. I'm kind of worried about him. Yeah, it's it's painful to watch him, I would say. I think he just looks incredibly lost. One of the things I will point out though is that especially with Booker not in there, especially with Ryan Anderson not being the floor spacer through seven games that the team had hoped, he is somebody Jackson who really struggles when the spacing is suboptimal. I think there's a lot of times we saw that chemistry between he and Aiton look so great in the preseason, but I think that's because guys like TJ Warren, Trevor Ariza, Anderson were pretty hot for some of those games. Um, when you see him take a dribble handoff from Aiton, which is one of the main ways he's used when the ball doesn't start the possession in his hands, he'll come off of a curl basically and kind of head down the, the uh, paint. And that's when we saw all those lobs in the preseason. Those haven't been there because I think the defense is – 
just smarter, more attentive than they were then. Obviously not playing the New Zealand breakers, but also not playing backups and guys who aren't really in it. When they're playing the best teams, those guys are are just giving all their attention right in the middle of the pain and there's just more bodies. And I think Jackson doesn't really know what to do. There was a play in the second quarter where he he did the, you know, typical crossover back through the leg, step back, mid-range jumper when when the kind of play disintegrated and he didn't have an easy read to make, he just devolved it right into that jumper and that's a problem. But then when the jumper predictably clanked off the the rim and the transition was on for the Spurs, he swiped at the ball and then just stopped and started jogging back and the Spurs got an easy three. That in, like perfectly encapsulated to me what the problem is. Inefficient offense and then lackadaisical, just lazy defense. And there's no way you can be playing if you're going to do both of those things on so many possessions. Really quickly, because I just found this stunning when I found this stat earlier, but there's only been one player in the NBA who's played over 100 minutes, has a negative PER, and that is Josh Jackson. He has a negative .4 PER through seven games, which is pretty crazy to even say. But another stat here I wanted to point out, I, I tweeted this out a little bit earlier, but for, for rookies and sophomores who have had at least a five-game streak where they committed multiple turnovers and fouls while shooting sub-40% from the field, only four guys have done in the last five years. Michael Carter-Williams, who's a bust. Zach Levine, who's – the jury's out. I mean, they got paid by Chicago. He's one of the more inefficient guys in the league. Emmanuel Moutier and now Josh Jackson. That's not a great, not a great list. No, it's, it's definitely not. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that though that company kind of puts into perspective the impact he's having on the game where he just looks lost and doesn't have really a feel for it yet. And those guys, that's kind of the, the knock on all of those players. No, but, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say because really on Jackson, I just found it interesting because we talked about this really off the air a little bit, but are you worried at all about Robert Sarver and that if there is a panic church, I think after Sarver said three weeks ago that the rebuild's done, the switch is flipped to winning. I, I have a really bad feeling there will be sometime soon. Do you think that if there is some sort of panic move that Josh Jackson, the one sent out? It seems that way, but I mean, at the same time, his, his value is just tanking the more performances like this that he puts up. That's true. Yeah. I think he's the chip the Suns would be most willing to deal, but that's also because he's not playing well. So other teams know that. Um, you know, I think the amount that he's going to fetch you on his own or as the core part of the deal is drastically less than what it was even at the beginning of the season. Looking back on it now, you're, I think your story from about a month or six weeks ago about Josh Jackson and his trade value, that, that reigns entirely true today. And it's kind of showing exactly from your story exactly what happens when the opposite happens. Yeah, I mean... And it's not even, I mean, I wrote that because I was thinking a lot about the Kyrie Irving negotiations and wondering, you know, how much it's just a, a, the, the good and the bad of overvaluing not only draft picks, but drafted players where you, you just are so hesitant to say goodbye to a guy that you just spent, you know, a whole season or more scouting and you, you attach yourself to, to say goodbye to him for more of a known quantity that makes more money and all the different things a veteran means is uh, I think sometimes a big mistake franchises make. So I was thinking, yeah, like he was not great as a, as a rookie, even though he had plenty of exciting games toward the end of it. And so, you know, I think he still could have gotten a decent player back as the core part of the package. And now we see, like you said, negative PR, one of the worst sophomores we've seen. It's, it's not pretty. Yeah. Not pretty at all. So before, what's your flagrant free throw before we go to our third segment here? My flagrant foul, I think would be 
yeah, it's tough to say anything we haven't already covered. We've been pretty negative. I think I'll just one more time and we don't need to spend too much time on it. We can move on to stat to watch, but I'll just throw out mine, which would be those Tyson Chandler and Jamal Crawford minutes. If the Suns have a deficit, if they're losing when when the bench comes in and those two guys are not only on the court together so often, but the the main offense running pick and rolls between those two. And it got a little better last night. Bridges was playing so well. Melton was causing problems on defense that they were able to do some different stuff. But too much, too often, it's those two just kind of playing a two-man game. That's a sure fire way to completely lose any chance you had to win the game. If the beginning of the second quarter, when you're already down, like the Suns were 13, to have those guys come out and run the offense at age, you know, 35 or whatever each of them is, it's a huge problem and it, it keeps happening. And I know that it's partially because there's not a ton of better options, but um, I guess just pray for continued health and that the young guys keep playing better so that Igor has different options when that bench unit comes in because those guys are not cutting it right now and and they're really hurting the team's ability to get back in games i don't want to be that guy but i guess i am right now but are tyson chandler and jamal crawford nba players anymore Brennan? it doesn't it hasn't looked that way i mean i think they both have a spot on a roster but not as a core contributors by any means yeah that's for sure so I guess before we go to our third segment here which is our stat to watch as you guys know from our usual recap shows before we go into that I want to tell you guys really quickly about our Locked On National Show, Locked On NBA, Monday through Friday. You can hear it on the Locked On Podcast Network with David Locke, Josh Lloyd, John Corrales, Adam Mares, Jake Madison, all these guys alternate back and forth Monday through Friday. It's a really good episodes every day. Get some bite-sized content of every team around the league. They do a a whip around through the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. So you get all of your information on there. But also I want to let you guys know if you don't already know, that Sam Amick and Ben Golver of the Athletic and Sports Illustrated, respectively, will be weekly guests in the Locked on NBA National Show. So if you guys want to go listen to Ben and Sam, who I think are two of the most respected journalists in the industry, you'll hear them every single week on Locked on NBA Net. So make sure you go listen to the national Locked on NBA show over in the Locked on Podcast Network. Yeah, just to give you guys a little taste today, it was Sam Amick joined Locke himself, talking about Carmelo and the Rockets, LeBron, um, the Warriors. So just a good bite of what's really the most important stuff every day in the national perspective, the whole league. So go check that show out and subscribe to it as well as this one. Um, my stat to watch, if I can get us started off, would be 31, just because we all remember the fateful game between these two teams where the Spurs doubled up the Suns 100 to 50 on national TV as well last season. And it happened again, not quite with such a high score on the Spurs part, but the Spurs at one point were winning 60 to 29 yesterday. So they, they doubled them up and then some um, once again for the second straight season. And I just, I mean, it, it's just like a silly number, but at the same time, like, Holy crap, you can't get doubled up. Not like four to two. Okay. Four to two. You can get doubled up. You can't get doubled up 60 to 30 in a real NBA game twice. Yeah, twice, and especially if you look at it even further, this game was tied. If you guys didn't know that, it was thirteen to thirteen, and in this the Spurs went off forty-seven to thirteen run. So that kind of ended all that, and it was just really. I'm glad you honestly weren't there, Brandon, because it really wasn't fun to watch in person. So thanks. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I guess for my stat to watch, it's sad to say, but I think it's turnovers. With I, it, I don't want to focus more on Josh Jackson, but. The turnovers went down a little bit yesterday, but the blender still is in process of being malfunctioning a little bit, I think, because you see sometimes 
it's really working. Sometimes it's not. I think it's more of the players in the it's unplugged right now. It's like the blender, but you like put all the fruit in and you press go and it's not blending because the, the plug is out. That's what I yeah. think. It or is. it's like the one rudder is not working like a guy like Josh Jackson and it just throws the entire thing off. But um, yeah, if we want to look at it really quickly, the assist turnover ratio, I know you, I point this out a lot, but 21 assists to 15 turnovers, you're not going to win much games at all when your assist turnover ratio is near equal. And that's how it's been the last six games in the Suns and Blount six straight games. So not really much to expect outside of there. And if you want to look even further, the three-point percentage, six of 24 from three, 25%. The Suns continue to be the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA. And they have been for two straight years now. So the shooting that they added in with Anderson and Ariza is definitely not paying off so far. Yeah, that's about, I don't have anything to add there, but one actual stat that I did have that was a little more, realistic than the doubling up is and i just looked i saw during the game that it was tilting this way but last night obviously we know the suns have had terrible fast break uh scoring done on them but they actually outscored the spurs in that category 22 to 4 yesterday and so i think you know that to me is the impact of mikhail bridges and d'anthony melton on defense i think each of them had uh i know melton had three steals bridges had two um between the two of those guys that that's going to be what you can get um and i think those two playing more will help tilt that a little bit the right way because they both can be efficient scoring in transition and creating transition opportunities so um that would be more of a real one to watch because it's been so bad for the suns and last night actually flipped the other way yeah really it encapsulates the entire process when you see two of your rookies especially not your number one pick or the strong performers from last night a 30 point loss so this trend's going to keep continuing, I feel like, because the schedule does not get any easier anytime soon for the Suns. They play tomorrow against the Toronto Raptors. Both Brent and I will be there. And Kawhi Leonard, if you guys don't know, he's usually resting on road trips, but all of a sudden he's not deciding to rest against the Phoenix Suns, so that should be a fun one. Yeah, we'll see. He um, He's good. He's a good player, so <laughs> um, we'll see. Those those guys tend to to do well against the Suns good good players so yeah demar Derozan scoring 25 on 10 of 12 is uh is one thing but a possible mvp candidate coming in against you know who knows if booker plays but that will be pretty terrifying yeah it, like i said it doesn't get any better from here folks it's going to be unfortunately if you guys can tell from our tone from the past two weeks it's definitely taken a really weird turn since the opening night game the blowout the blowout win to dallas and all of a sudden six straight blowout losses definitely a weird feeling here around Phoenix. So we'll talk to you guys tomorrow for our next episode recapping the Raptors game, which we hope isn't a blowout.